Let's go, Falcons. I'm Matthew Gonch here, podcast host and sophomore here at Kincaid. Welcome, Falcons, to Falcon Live. This is Season 1, Episode 5, and we've won innovative and accomplished guests on this issue's podcast. Henry Siegel has been a Kincaid since pre-K. In his high school career, he has founded the Motion Picture Club and has since started talks with Mr. Holm, our athletic director, about possibly having table tennis as a sport here at Kincaid. Henry Siegel. I am the founder and president of the Motion Picture Club here at Kincaid. I also uh, take film here and make some films of my own. And I am now a huge fan of table tennis. Now, you know, Henry, you got the first founders of the term catfish to come speak to your club. Can you can you walk me through how you approach them via email? I know you like sent me that on my phone, but I don't could you just explain it to our viewers? Yeah, so I had my whole club watch this documentary called Catfish, and it was, it was made about 10 years ago, and it was basically about this guy who got catfished, you know, kind of at the peak of Facebook in 2008, and the documentary invented the term catfish, and I had my, I had my club watch this because it's a really interesting format where the directors are kind of characters in the movie, and... It was also, it's also just really cool because it was almost an accidental documentary. Um, I think it's called a participatory documentary because you are kind of figuring out things just as the people are in real life. So I just thought it was an interesting format and everybody loved it. It was great. You know, like so many people didn't know that even though they use the term catfish all the time, uh, for better or for worse. Um, but it was really just interesting because it was such a great movie and it's also so influential. So I, I found the two directors, these two guys, Henry and Ariel. Um, I found their um, email on their production company and I sent them an email. Um, and within 30 minutes, I was looking at my phone at lunch and I, I saw one of them got back to me. And you know, one of the guys' names is Henry and he sent me this really funny email and he was like, oh, you know, if one Henry must ask something, then the other Henry must obey. That's the rule of Henry's. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, perfect. I wish I knew about this one before. Um, so then they came to our meeting in December, and they were, they were awesome. They stayed, they stayed like, way over the meeting and talked to us about everything. So what specifically did they, you know, talk? How did, how did, they showed up in person, right? When was this? No, they, this was um, this uh, December 2020, so they, they zoomed in. They zoomed in. And would they would they like talk about? Yeah, so they talked about you know some some of their influences and how people people didn't even believe the movie was real. Mm-hmm. Um, they even they even they even almost lost a job because you know the guy the producer who was hiring them wanted them to admit that it was fake so he could give them the jobs. There are a lot of funny stories like that, and they also just gave other advice about kind of you know doing what you want. And now they just they just signed a deal to do a huge movie um, with a producer named Jerry Bruckheimer, um, and he did like Top Gun and like Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean and like every big movie from the '80s to now. So I guess I guess our club has some good luck or influence. Um, now, Henry, you've gone to talks with um, athletic director uh, director Mr. Holm about making table tennis a uh, sport here at Kincaid. Can you walk me um, back from your award-winning Little Big Shot video? Explain a little bit. In, in January and February, I started making this documentary about this five-year-old table tennis prodigy that I just randomly uncovered in Houston. Um, he, he trains at the Houston International Table Tennis Academy, also known as HIDA. HIDA. 
I mean, it, it's a great acronym that kind of caused me to do this whole thing. So I started videoing him a couple times, and I spent probably over 10 hours there in like a two-week period. And, you know, each night these like kids from age five all the way to people age 65 that I talked to would like seriously play table tennis, and they, they were like seriously good. You know, they, they, they had a sweat at the end of it. You know, they brought, like, towels, a change of shoes, you know, like, Gatorade. Like, it was not your basement table tennis. So after I spent so much time there, I realized, you know, this sport was so much more than, like, a basement game. It's honestly what I would call the most true life sports. People say the life sports are tennis and golf. But, you know, not everyone has access to a tennis court. Not everyone has access to a golf course. Yep. A table tennis table is much, you know, more accessible. And it's also just, you know, anyone can have it in their house. So I realized that, you know, one, this sport is like the most life sport of any of the life sports. You know, two, you know, if you really focus on it, people can get really good and actually, you know, it's, it's good activity because it's, it's extreme fast motion with hand-eye coordination. Is it gonna give you a six pack? Maybe not, but it's, it's great, it's great physical activity. So I did a lot of research on it after, you know, I was, I was just so impressed by like how seriously and how seriously these people were playing it and how talented they were that I, I did some research and I made this slideshow. Um, I was like, oh, wow, you know, no offense to badminton, but Kincaid has a badminton team, you know, like why not a table tennis team? So I, I went to Mr. Holm and, you know, I said, there's a great solution in the fall um, you know, there are athletes that might want to get a sports credit or just might just want to do something like conditioning or badminton, but they don't want to risk injury. And table tennis, it's like one of the lowest injury <laughs> sports of all time. I mean, you can't even twist your ankle. I mean, like it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, if unless you're like Chris Stallings and you break windows from rage and stuff like that. But yeah, I remember I remember uh, last year the seniors were really competitive in um, table tennis before we got shut down in March. Um, but yeah, clearly we can't have that this year. Um, how did you, I remember we called, uh, this weekend about how the catfish people inspired you to, um, uh, bring table tennis to Kincaid. How, how exactly do they inspire you? Yeah. So, well, when the, when the catfish people said yes so fast, I got this like kind of huge confidence that everybody was going to say yes, uh, which was not the case at all. So in, you know, November, December, I've, I found, um, you know, the contacts of a bunch of Hollywood's biggest publicists, assistants, agents, etc. And I sent like 50 to 100 emails seeing who would want to come to my club. And we got a hit of we got most of them were no responses. We got a couple no's. Um, but the first hit we got was James Corden, mm-hmm. which was which was huge. And um, you're a senior now, right? So in, rising senior. Rising senior. Um, so eighth grade summer, you met James Corden in California. Let's go back a bit in time. Do you remember that encounter? I, I you, there, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, my first encounter with this, and this is why it is like kind of even more special to me, was you know the summer after eighth grade. I was I was in California during the summer, and I was sitting at a restaurant with um, a kid in our, Jack Klosik, um, Falcon, Falcon writer. Former uh, guest on our first issue. Yes, he was on, he was on the pilot, yep. as they say in showbiz. 
um, of the Falcon Live. So, yeah, so Jack Klosik was there, and then my brother, and a couple of friends, and it was just a small group of, you know, high school kids, no parents, and we were eating dinner, and I saw, I saw James, like, 15, 20 feet away, sitting at the bar with his wife, and we just kind of went on with our meal. We were like, oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, we've all seen his, like, carpool karaoke stuff. This yep. was right when he did the Paul McCartney video. Um, so we went on, and then his meal ended, and he started walking towards us. And this was not like he was, like, walking to the bathroom or walking to his car. Like, he was only walking towards our table. And we all kind of had this moment of panic, and we were looking at each other like, oh, he's going to get mad at us for, you know, you know, disturbing the dinner with his wife. He just wanted to eat in peace. And he comes over. And he just he just introduced himself to us. He thought it was so cool that, you know, we were just a couple of guys having a night out. No one was on their phone. We were all just talking to each other. Like, he really appreciated that we were enjoying the moment. And, you know, he talked to us for a few minutes. But I always remember that because, you know, it was like, it was like he came up to us. So... I, I mentioned that in my email to his publicist. I mean, I didn't really think he would remember it, but I just thought, you know, it was a nice, it was a nice touch. So, and yeah. Now, through that email, um, Henry, what specifically did you say to James Gordon? Yeah, so I sent a very casual email. Um, it was, it was, it was, I sent it as if I was already his friend, friend trying to pull some jokes. Um, I don't, I think, you know, I don't think I've ever sent an email that casual to a teacher at Kincaid. But I kind of just told my story and, you know, made a bunch of jokes. And, you know, I, I didn't do like, hey, Mr. Corden. I was like, hey, James, what's up? Like all this, all this stuff, like I was texting a friend. So I think that maybe part of the reason it wasn't just lost in the inbox was that I tried to make it catch from the subject line mm -hmm. forward. Now, um, fast forward to his, uh, he, he accepts the email, right? And uh, you told me that you sent him an email uh, before the meeting just to remind him to come to the meeting, not to forget or cancel or anything. What, what did you do? What specifically did you do? Yeah, so I, I had this fear for like, three months or four months leading up to the meeting that he was going to cancel like the day of, you know, if not any day in between. Um, and I kind of had this because we were supposed to have the day the catfish directors came, um, the guy who actually got catfish to come, um, this guy, Neve, who's now the star of the catfish TV show now. Um, and, you know, he, I think he just, I, don't, I mean, I don't think he catfished us, so to speak. Uh, on purpose, but, you know, he, like, he got lost in a meeting, and he missed the time zones, and it was just, like, I mean, luckily, we had two guests show up that day, but I was worried that that was going to happen. I mean, understandably. It's James Corden, yeah. Yeah, he used to put on a show five nights a week. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of work. So, I was really worried this was going to happen, and I was emailing back and forth, you know, with his team, working on his production schedule, um, and then... Two days before the meeting, I just I just had this feeling, and I almost like I was I was I felt bad for like the other people because I felt like the whole thing was just gonna fall apart. So I sent a thank you in advance letter, basically to to a studio, and it was just saying I was like thank you for even saying yes, and it was almost like a reminder, um, 
sort of just like, come on, we, we've, we've made it this far. Don't, don't say no now. And I also FedExed a, um, one of our club t-shirts to the studio. And, you know, I did the fastest FedEx shipping. Yep. You know, everything had to go right for him to even get the letter and the shirt by the meeting. You know, it had to get the FedEx at the estimated time, which was like, you know, within a couple hours of the meeting. And then, you know, it didn't have to sit in a mailroom for a week. And then it had to actually be brought to his office. And then, you know, it wasn't just thrown out. And then, you know, I entered the meeting and he was wearing the shirt. So it was a cherry on top that even I didn't expect. Now, so I, I'm i in journalism. We, we, took, we were probably some of the first people to know about, you know, James Corden coming to your club because um, it's, it's our job to publicize it. So I told some people to uh, watch the James Corden things. It, it, it would have been cool. But um, I was in Hawaii in spring break, and I was asking people how the meeting was going, right? And apparently James Corden had some trouble getting into the meeting. Can, can you explain that? I heard it was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't funny at first. I'll say that. Um, you know, right when the meeting started, there were about 30-something people in the room. Um, everyone was ready. And except for James, so okay, so it, it definitely wasn't funny at first. Yep. Um. So you know the meeting started on time and everybody was there, except for James. So it was it was very stressful for me and I think it was kind of cringy, you know, for everybody else because they were like, "Oh, did this kid just make everything up?" Like, you know, <laughs> no one's here. It's just thirty Kincaid kids on a Zoom. Um, and then I start getting all these messages. I started getting like calls and texts from like his assistants and publicists and like three numbers at once. They're like, James can't get on. He's not authorized. And I was clicking every button on Zoom and, you know, people, you know, on, on the Zoom were trying to tell me that I'm unmuted and I was trying to deal with this on the phone and I was clicking every button on Zoom. Um, and, and finally, finally, um, you know, I just heard, can you guys hear me now? And then that, that was like, I was like, okay, perfect. Yep. Okay, so, Henry, after that meeting, you Steve Bellamy, the founder of Kodak, um, he heard about this, right? And he was inspired to come speak to your club after. Um, how, how did that go down? Yeah, so he, he heard about this meeting. Um, well, I, I had talked to him about the club before, and I showed him I showed him the recording of our meeting, and he was so shocked that, you know, James gave up this time. Um, because he is like so busy, you know, he had to even, you know, pushed one of his own meetings late to stay on ours, which was amazing and hilarious. Um, and he, Steve was so shocked that, you know, James gave this time and how, you know, how good he was on the call that, you know, Steve wanted to be a part of it too. So he came, he came to our next meeting and he's really interesting. Um, he started the tennis channel, ski channel, surf channel, skate channel, a lot of channels. Um, and right now he runs um, Kodak's motion picture. If you're listening, this is your sign to join the motion picture club next year. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. And I'm going to say it one more time. It is going to be big. Um, please consider joining the motion picture club. It's going to be really fun. Um, and also take filmmaking. Um, Mr. Gillentine's class, if you're interested. Now, Henry, the various people you got to speak at your motion picture club amaze me. Um, I'm still looking forward to your to uh, Mr. Holmes' decision of whether or not they're going to have um, uh, table tennis next year. 
Uh, that's something I'm definitely interested. Um, thank you for your time and your amazing stories. To our listeners, thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next podcast. See you all soon.